Let's take a seat. Are we doing okay this morning? Yeah? Yeah, pretty good. Um, I'm, I'm super curious to see kind of how this, uh, this next 30 or so minutes kind of turns out. It was, uh, it was very different than how I initially anticipated. Pretty, pretty regularly, like I, I know kind of like the basic, you know, here's, here's kind of the, the body of what I want to communicate. Um, most of the time, I, I feel like I, I hit kind of that, that general uh, idea. Um, this first service, though, like we cut out the entire second half of what I'd prepared. So um, it, was, it was great, and we're going we're gonna to keep going uh, kind of with that same theme of kind of seeing where God goes. And uh, I want to I just say welcome. Uh, we've got a lot of um, kind of big theology stuff that's happening in our text today, but really in a lot of ways, we're kind of pulling back from the big theology and trying to get it to the heart of us as individuals. Like, what is God asking me, like me as a human being? Not like what is Paul communicating to a, a group of churches necessarily just in kind of first century Rome, but what is God asking me? And in the middle of a book that's super heady and there's a lot of really deep concepts, my hope today is that we'd really kind of simplify some things and kind of get to the heart of um, what God is asking me to do uh, as a follower of him or as someone who's kind of just seeking. So I just want to say, first of all, welcome. Uh, my name is Pastor Josh. I'm the senior pastor here. And I want to say um, just welcome to everyone. Uh, we, we recognize that for some people, this gathering is very comfortable. Uh, you're used to church. You know, maybe you, you grew up in the church and, and there, there's a lot of nostalgia that comes when you, when you kind of set foot on this campus. You're like, oh, it's my church home and there's so many people I know and love. And, and that's great. And, and for some people, the reality is like coming here is very uncomfortable and, uh, and that's okay. Like, this is not a kind of a normal social setting, right? Like, how often do you go and, and sing songs out loud to people and kind of listen to people who really can't tell you anything about their life or where they're living or what they're doing because it's secretive because they're living in the Middle East somewhere? Like, these are all very different things than normal life. And so we just want to say we welcome you um, to kind of explore uh, who God is. There, there's a lot of different mediums and ways to do that. Uh, this is one of them, this gathering space. We, we also believe that um, one of the best ways to explore who God is is by reading the Bible. Um, it's, a, it's a bizarre book. It's a wild book because there's kind of two truths that are happening with the Bible. On the one hand, it's histories of just normal people, right? Like men and women who have lived thousands of years ago. It's their normal life. It's their highs. It's their lows. It's the weirdness of life. Um, but then on the other hand, we believe that God has like miraculously worked through their lives to show truth to people thousands of years later. And we believe that God speaks through his word. So, so there's some weird dynamics going on there, but we believe that, um, that God speaks through his word. So I would encourage you, uh, open up a Bible and read through it. Uh, if you don't have one, Man, there's Bibles all around here. Take one. It's, it's a gift. You don't even have to feel like you're sneaking it. Like I, Our worship guy will sign it for you if you want. He's pretty hip. Um, I also say that uh, while this is something that's important, this gathering here, one of the, the more important gatherings that we do happens in homes. Um, we have somewhere around 30 different groups, uh, just community groups, about 300 people who meet in living rooms, who meet around dining tables, uh, really for the purpose of saying, man, how are you? Like, I, I care about you. I have a vested interest in your life. 
your highs, your lows, they matter to me. How can I help you uh, love Jesus, know him, follow him? Because that is ultimately where life is found. And so I would encourage you, if you're not in one of those groups, um, try to get in one. Just ask someone around you. Go on our website, hit the community tab. That's kind of where we believe that a lot of life happens. Uh, but we also believe it happens right here as we open up God's Word. And so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, we're going to open up His Word. As we, as we get into that, though, I want to start out with a question that I asked. This is the very first question in our entire series. Uh, we, we're in about week six of a 16-week series. I asked a question starting the whole thing off in week one. Trivia question. Does anyone remember the very first question I asked in this series? Anyone have notes? One person remembered from first hour. I didn't even remember. I had to go back to my notes. Anyone remember the very first question I asked? How should I live my life? Okay, first row, you're such a good student. That's why you sit here. I love that. She's, how should I live my life? All right, that was a question that we started this whole series on. And it's really a question that we're going to get after today. How should I live my life? Like when I think about my life and I, and I ask the questions, what are some things that perhaps I should be doing that maybe I'm not doing in my life right now? Or what's something in my life that I am doing that maybe I shouldn't be doing in my life right now? And in some ways, this is very practical. You know, some people are like, well, that's very moralistic. Like God's about grace and forgiveness. And absolutely he is. And we'll get into that today. But the invitation today is an invitation to live rightly. And it's an interesting invitation because when you start talking about the word right, right, when you start talking about the word should, you're talking about a moral imperative. You're talking about a moral obligation, an obligation that only exists if God exists and says, this is how you should live. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to ask like, for us to look in the mirror at our own life and say, how should I be living? What's the invitation for me? And here's the thing that's kind of wild about the study of Romans. Uh, in our first couple weeks, and I would, I would really, really encourage you, go back. Like, if, if this is like your first week, I'm doing everything I can to help this make sense. But this whole series will make so much more sense if you go back and you listen to the podcast, if you listen to uh, our messages online. You can go back and listen to that. But in, a, in the kind of beginning of the series, um, when we're looking at who we are and the decisions that we make, very early on, we learned that the reality for, for all people at some level is it's very common for us to live how we shouldn't. Right? It's very common for us to do things that we ought not to. And this is true whether you say that you love God and you're trying to follow him or whether you say God doesn't exist and, and the only reason people would say that God exists is some sort of crutch for them. You don't even live up to the standards that you put before other people. So here we are, all of us, on some level, not living up to a standard that we say that we should live up to. And it's interesting. When you look at uh, how we live... Most of us at some level find ourselves chasing things that are not God. Uh, we chase all kinds of things, kind of depending upon who you are, depending upon your life stage, depending upon if you're married, if you've got kids, if you're in career, uh, kind of wh where you are, we chase all kinds of things, right? We chase things like um, approval of others. We chase things like, you know, I want um, a, a really expensive, extravagant life. I, I want things like a certain body type. I want things like comfort or ease or like that perfect vacation, Right? Or that perfect family, or my kids someday, they're going to be just the most amazing athlete. And we chase all these things, and, and here's what Paul tells us in Romans 1 and 2. When we chase all these things that are not God, here's the sad thing. 
God says, okay, you want to chase all these things that aren't me? Go ahead. And it's a sad truth, but it's a truth that God allows us to chase things that aren't him. And, and what did we learn through Romans 1 and 2? We, we learned that when we do that, when we chase all these things that aren't him, ultimately, like, there's a lot of tragedy that happens in life when we do that. When we put things on pedestals as if they are God that are not God, the result is, man, all kinds of brokenness, all kinds of sadness, all kinds of family breakup, all kinds of hardship, right? Ultimately, um, we know that this is true because we live in a world where all the things that we want to chase, we're getting in ways that really historically people haven't gotten before. You look at like where we are as a nation in terms of our prosperity. We are, most people say, the richest, wealthiest nation to ever live in the history of humanity. Yet are we happy? Are we thriving? It's not a trick question. We're not. Because God says, yeah, you want to chase those things? And we chase them, and ultimately they don't bring us the happiness that we're searching for. And so here's the thing. Kind of the end road of what happens when we chase all these things is, is separation from God. And that's, that's a tragedy. That's a sad tragedy. God says, you want to chase all these things forever in this life? Okay, you can chase them forever in this life, and guess what? You can chase them forever in the next life too. And that will be a life away from me. So ultimately, what we saw in Romans 1 and 2 is that we're facing a life of separation from God, um, which is horrible. It's, it's sad. It's like the depths of bad news for everyone. But then we got two beautiful words in Romans 3. Anyone remember those two beautiful words, Romans 3.21? But now, right? But now, like something great happens. So here we are. It's like, oh my goodness, we've got nothing but bad news. But now. But now something incredible happened. While we were separated from God, while we were trying to find hope away from God, but now through Christ, Jesus Christ came as a perfect person, as a perfect God. He came and lived this life, paid for my rebellion against God, gave me access to the Father, and gives me eternal life forever. By all, all I got to do is say what? Is say, God, I believe that. And I have faith. I have faith that you are who you say you are. And now the, bla- like the, the crazy thing in all of this is um, in a lot of ways, like, that's such a good message. It's almost too good to be true. Right? Like Christianity, if you really dig down, like, it, it, it's one of those things that you, you really weigh and you wrestle with. And you go like, wait a second. You're telling me that I'm rebelling against God that I have eternal separation coming, but that all I have to do is say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died for me and I get to be with you forever, no matter what I do. How many of you that sounds like almost too good to be true? It really does. And so this is where we are in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, the heart of 6, really 7 and 8, Paul is asking the question. The question that says something like this, wait a second. If I'm saved by grace, if I'm saved because of something that someone else did, then why not live any way that I want to? If I know that I've got eternity coming, why not live any way that I want to right now? If, if that's secure, why not just live any life that I want right now? I was trying to think this week about an analogy. Um, and really, analogies sometimes are like really hard when you're talking about preaching a sermon in God's word because analogies break down everywhere. And I told First Services, hey, I'm going to try this analogy on you guys. Like, if it doesn't work, I'll scrap it completely and try something different Second Service. And uh, a couple of people said, ah, oh, it actually kind of works. So we're going we're to go with this. So this is kind of the analogy that I want to I go with for today. And I'm going to use it in a bunch of different places. But 
um, what's happening in Romans chapter 6 is essentially this. Like, um, imagine you're at dinner table, and you, you're a parent, and you've got a bunch of young little kids with you. All right? It's not hard for me to imagine. I've got three little girls. I've got a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and a seven-year-old. And uh, I'm imagining this dinner. Dinner's always chaotic in our home because we have kids, and we have a dog, and we have students, and life's a little bit hectic. But after good dinner, there's occasionally something special that happens after dinner. And what is that? That is dessert, right? Dessert. Who loves dessert? Come on. Come on. All right. Yeah, right? A good dessert. I'm not talking fruit. I'm talking chocolate and peanut butter, like cold. Like none of this coconut chunk, whatever. Like talking good ice cream, cake, whatever. Um, As a little kid, though, and as a good parent, like you always tell your kid, you don't get dessert unless what? Unless you eat your dinner, right? You got to clean your plate. Like in my family, it's always like, Girls, you got to eat some protein. You got to eat some veggies uh, if you want dessert. And we don't have dessert every night, but occasionally dessert comes. Well, what would happen if my five-year-old, what if she knew that dessert was coming whether she ate her food or not? Right? What's she going to do? I don't know. Dad, why would I want to eat? Like, it's always this battle. Like, man, like, eat your veggies. It's really good for you. And she's always like, I don't know. And the only reason half the time she actually eats is because she knows dessert's coming. Well, what Paul just said is, hey, everyone, we're all getting dessert, all of us, no matter what, no matter if you eat your veggies, no matter if you eat your meat, we're all getting dessert. And the question is, well, why eat dinner then? Right now, if you're an adult, you're like, well, that's a dumb analogy because, of course, we want to eat dinner because dinner's really good. Right? Like, who doesn't love a good steak and veggies? And here's the thing, like, that's what Paul's saying. He's like, yeah, I'm making this argument theologically for a five-year-old, right? So... This is the whole chapter for all of us as five-year-olds who are saying like, well, why would I want to eat my dinner if I get dessert? And Paul is saying to all of us, well, guys, dessert is really good, but so is dinner. It's actually really, really good. And he has to literally go on for a few chapters talking about how good life here is when we follow Jesus now. So what does this sound like? Practically, what does this sound like in the, the mind of a believer who's got the promise of eternity coming. It sounds like this. It sounds like, why go to church on my one day off when I know that I'm already saved? Right? It sounds like, um, why make the effort to be in community with other people when I already know Jesus? Like, I, I already know that my future's secure. Why go through all this effort? Why go through the effort to give sacrificially, to give of my time? Why go through all the effort, like, to open up my Bible every day and, and to fast and to practice Sabbath and silence and solitude? That, that just seems like a lot. Like, I know that I'm getting dessert. I know that the future's coming. Why go through all this effort now? That's the question that Paul is asking in chapter 6. And again, it may sound silly, but I think he's on to something. I think he's on to most of us asking this question. So he says this. And uh, here's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, my sermons it's quite a bit different this week than it is in a normal week. We're going we're gonna to stand. We're going to read a huge chunk. And then I'm just going to kind of go off script and kind of translate a little bit of what he's asking here. So I'm going to ask that we would stand. We're going to read Romans 6. We're not going to read the whole thing. We're going to read some pretty big chunks, though. <laughs> Again, you just kind of as we're reading this, you've got you to constantly think, here is, uh, here is Paul. He's making this argument. He's asking the question, why should I live a certain way when I know that no matter what happens, 
I'm getting eternity. That's the question that is being asked. So here we go. We're going to start in verse 1. What then, or what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I'm going to jump down to verse 12 here. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. Verse 15, he kind of asked the same question again. Well, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Verse 19, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, you now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may take a seat. So, did you guys get all that? Right, that's kind of the feeling sometimes I get when you read Romans and you're like, oh my goodness, like there there is a lot of multi-syllabled words here. Um... But I'm going to try to do everything that I can to really kind of boil this down um, in as simple terms as possible, because the heart of the matter, I think in a lot of ways, is pretty simple. Um, While it is an argument for why we should live a certain way, um, it's very, very simple. So Paul starts out, and he says that all of us um, give ourselves, and he uses this term, slavery, and it's a term that we got to understand in order to get this context. So when we think of the word slavery... Um, obviously all kinds of horrible images come to mind. We conjure up ideas of of what we think about as American slavery, right? We think forced, we think for life, we think race-based, we think of just the atrocity of of what happened in our country here. Um, But that's not this type of slavery that Paul is talking about whatsoever. Um, You go back to kind of first century slavery, and um, and it, it had a very different meaning back then. So think about our day and age now. Like, if, if in life right now you accumulate all kinds of debt, like let's say you're whatever, you're living crazy, you're making foolish decisions, and you've got half a million dollars in debt, right? Well, what's going to happen eventually? 
Like eventually, a bunch of debt collectors are going to call you. You know, perhaps someone's going to sue you, try to get money from you that you owe them. Um, but um, eventually, you're, you're not going to go to prison if you have a bunch of debt. There's no such thing as debtor's prison. That Once there was in certain countries, that, that was a thing, but that's not the case anymore. Um, worst case scenario, if you've got a bunch of debt in America, you are going to declare bankruptcy and kind of have a hard restart in life, which is rough, but it's not the end of the world. Well, in first century world, if you were to accumulate a bunch of debt, uh, really the only way to get rid of that debt would be to sell yourself um, in, in service to someone else. So let's say um, I, I have $100,000 worth of debt and the equivalent of their money back in the day, and I sold myself to a certain family. I said, hey, for two years, Higgins, I'm all yours. I'm going to mow your lawn. I'm going to wash your car. I'm going to walk your dog. I'm going to run your horses and do whatever kinds of things you do out in the country out there because that's like I'm yours. But if, if I do all these things for a couple of years, can you pay off this debt of mine? Because I have no way of paying it, but I will be your guy. I will be there at six in the morning. I will leave at six at night. I'm all in. And that's what slavery was. Uh, That's what this type of slavery is that Paul is talking about here. And so you got to keep this in mind. And so Paul kind of makes this this idea that we all give ourselves as slaves to one of two different categories. And here's where I'm going to try to do my best to communicate um, this idea. And apparently it worked okay first hour. I practice this multiple times and it never went the same way every time. So here we go. We'll try to see what happens. So Paul says that every single human is a slave to one of two things. We're either a slave to sin. Can you guys see that? Ish? Enough? Yeah. Slave to sin or we are a slave to righteousness. Okay. You don't have an option. You're one or the other. Um, uh, but you, you choose. And he talks about this idea that at one point, pre-Christian, we were all slaves to sin. You did not have the option. You did not have the opportunity. You did not have the heart. You did not have the desire. You were not giving yourself to righteousness. And, and I know righteousness is kind of a, a weird churchy word. It just means living rightly. Um, I mean, it means a whole lot more than that, but that's a very simple way to say it. Slaves to sin, bad, right? (laughs) Not living rightly, not living good. We'll make that very, very simple. So before you're a Christian, um, all of us, every single person uh, is in this category. We are only a slave to sin. That's all we can do. And it doesn't mean that you can't do things that are good, but it means that the core of who you are is all about you, and it's not about worshiping the ultimate glorious um, one that we should, and that is God. So we're all slaves to sin. Well, here's what happens. Um, And this is where Paul gets into this long explanation about uh, baptism and death and resurrection. What he's trying to say, um, what he is saying very eloquently, is he's saying as a Christian— Christ has put an invitation before you. And this invitation before you is to come and to live a better life. It is, I've paid for your slavery to sin, and now I want you to come live rightly. So here's where I want to give this analogy. So, for the Christian, what's coming next is we've got heaven. All right, woohoo! Like, that's really good news, right? Really, really good news. Amen? 
I mean, like, we should be a little bit more excited about that. Like, amen? Like, heaven's great. Yes. Amen. Like, heaven is glorious. We all can't wait to get there. Um, but then back to kind of the, the dinner table analogy, right? Back to my five-year-old who's going like, well, if I can go to heaven for free, if I can get dessert, right, which is over here, right, dessert, if I can get to heaven for free, well, why can't I just live however I want right now? And the argument that Paul is trying to make is that here's dinner, it's really good. And here's starving. And that's really bad. So follow me here. Um, my senior year of high school, I went on a trip with my best friend. Uh, we, we went for two weeks. We went to Hawaii. Um, this was back in the day before. I don't even know if I knew what a bank account was. Um, we each had $50 for this trip. We, <laughs> true story. Like 50 bucks. We each had 50. Uh, I didn't have a debit card. I didn't have a credit card. I don't even know that I knew that those things existed at that point in my life. But um, we drove. We were from way north, northern California. We drove five, six hours by ourselves to the airport. We get to the airport. Um, we're going a week by ourselves. And then we were going to meet up with his family for the next week. And so we get there. And uh, the person at the teller, uh, you know, person behind the counter says, oh, well, if you want to get your surfboards there, it's going to cost you $50 a piece. So we're like, oh, okay, that's a no-brainer. Here's 50 bucks. Um, we brought some food because we were planning on camping and backpacking. So we kind of had some backpacking food. But that 50 bucks was supposed to last us like four or five days worth of food for an 18-year-old. Um, so we get there and we're like, man, what are we going to do now? Like, we don't have any money. And we have just very little food, mostly like nasty like tuna and rice and oatmeal. Um, how are we going to live? And so we're kind of, you know, we had a lot of time to think about this. You got the flight over there. And uh, we, we saw a guy who looked like he was kind of in the same predicament as us. And we said, hey, what, what's your plan when you get off the plane? What are you going to do? He said, I'm going to hitchhike out of here. Oh, that seems like a really good idea. So, um, so we hitchhike out of the airport. Some nice local picks us up, throws us in the back of his truck. He's like, I'm going to take you somewhere good. So we're like literally in the back of his truck for like an hour. And he drops us off in the North Shore. He says, hey, here's the deal. Like, you go, you go hide behind this hotel, like, in the bushes over here. You camp over here. You can surf your brains out. It'll be great. Um, and that's what we did uh, for the first couple days. And we had just nasty, nasty food. And we were pretty hungry. Like, if you're in the water all day long, you're going to get pretty hungry. And so, you know, we kind of spent some time sneaking into the continental breakfast and so and such of the hotels. But um, that was kind of the old self. That was the old self. Like, don't judge me. Um, and so here's the thing, though. Like, after a couple days, we had some reservations at a campground nearby. And so we hitchhiked, went to this campground, and we found out very quickly, like, this was no, like, normal campground. This was not, like, a campground that, like, oh, young families are hanging out at. Like, we were the only ones who went to this campground who were not living at this campground. Um, it was a very, very interesting scenario. It was super sketchy. We get there, and it's like, oh, my goodness, like, we can't leave. Like, all of our stuff is going to be stolen if we ever leave. So it was kind of in misery for a couple days. But then, like, the glorious thing happened. Mom and dad came, right? And when his mom and dad came, it was like, come to the life of luxury, right? Like, welcome to whatever Hyatt, Marriott, whatever. Like, would you like this pool over here? Would you like this pool over here? We've got hot tubs. We've got room service. We've got all kinds of food. Like, you want to go eat dinner? Let's eat dinner. It's all on mom and dad, right? And so here's the analogy I'm trying to make. I think you're probably smart enough to catch on to me. As a Christian, when, when we're saved, Jesus says, come from your slummy little, like you have no food, you have no money, you're eating like canned tuna off like a campfire 
to like the five-star like buffet all you can eat, right? It's over here. Come, join. Dinner is really, really, really good. But here's Paul's entire point. We still have a choice to make. Like, I can still choose, like, ah, nah, I'd rather be hungry. I'd, I'd rather eat, like, that nasty oatmeal instead of that prime rib. Like, I'd rather camp where all the mosquitoes are, where I'm out in the woods trying to hide from people so I don't look like a total vagabond. Um, when all the while Jesus is saying, like, I've got room service. I've got an incredible life here. I've got all the food you've ever wanted. I've got everything. But we have a choice. The good life is being a slave to righteousness. But here's the thing. Why do you think Paul's writing this? He's not just writing it to people who are theologically five years old. He's writing it to many of us who oftentimes want to go back to the old life. We want to go back and we want to go like, ah, you know what? I'm going to give myself as a slave to sin, and I'm going to live over here because, you know what, ah, eventually dessert's coming, you know, whatever, heaven's coming, I can do whatever I want right now because this feels good in the moment. The invitation for all of us is to a life of righteousness. And again, big words, big words. So here's kind of where we want to end our day. Um, we want to end our day literally like looking into the mirror at my own life. And, and you got to, I, I think it's, it's really helpful when, when we look at our own life, we get really nitty-gritty. And we say, okay, what is it that I am prone to believe over here? Right? Maybe that's, Josh, um, you have a tendency towards fear. Or you have a tendency towards anger. Or you have a tendency towards shame. Um, what, are, what are the things that you believe that kind of want to put you as a slave to sin in this category? And what are the things, on the other hand, that you know, you know what, God's asking me to do this, and I'm just kind of afraid to do it sometimes. And so I want to, I, I truly want you to do this, and, and I know, like, if your personality is like me, when someone up front tells you to do something, you just don't want to do it all that much more, but I, I'm telling you, for your soul, whether it's on your phone, maybe you can do it in your head, but I want to just encourage you, on a piece of paper, I want you to write down, for you, what does living rightly look like for you in this season of life? Maybe it's something like, I need to be more committed in this area. I need to be more disciplined in this area. I need to believe the truths about who God says he is in this area. And then what am I prone to as a slave to sin? Because I'm always going to go back and forth between one or the other. And God says, you don't have to. Come to the good life. And maybe write out, you know, I'm prone to believing this, which isn't true. I'm prone, prone to acting like this, which isn't true. And then as you kind of wrestle through that this week, just remember, you've got the good life, the hotel, the buffet, all you can eat, which really leads in the long run. He talks about sanctification, joy, eternal life, all the things that lead to human flourishing. Or the other side leads to sadness, sickness, and ultimately death on that side. So I'm going to ask that uh, we're going to spend some time praying into that. Think through your life. Lord, um, we all have choices to make if we have put our faith in you. God, I can choose to be a slave to sin. I can choose to give myself back to that old life or I can choose to believe you and to give my life to what's good. God, at the same time, there are some of us in here who have not had that invitation. 
we don't have the opportunity to give ourselves to what's good because we have not said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. Thank you for giving your life to me. And maybe for those of us who are in that situation, maybe it's simply just acknowledging that today, God. Um, I have been living for myself, and it's leading to a lot of hurt and pain, and I don't have, um, I don't have peace in my life. I don't know what my future holds. Maybe it's something as simple as saying, Jesus, I need to surrender and give my life to you. And then I have this incredible smorgasbord of goodness when I give my life to things that are right and good. God, help all of us to uh, be able to take an honest look at our life. An honest look that says, hey, here's some things in my life that I need to cut out. Here's some things that I need to stop believing. Here's some things that I need to pursue. And let us pursue those, Jesus, because we know that you offer us a better life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.